This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. Greetings, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me. I have another killer installment of the show to share with you, this time featuring a conversation with Tim Smolens and Chris Bogan from the outfit's High Castle Teleorchestra. Both of them have been involved in the music industry for many years. Tim plays bass, keyboards, cello, and he's also a vocalist, and Chris plays guitars, synths, and puts together some noise collages. The catalyst for the introduction, therefore the chat with the gentleman, is due to the launch of a new album. I believe it's the debut from High Castle Tele Orchestra. It is titled The Egg That Never Opened, and it's floored me, it must be said. You'll hear throughout the chat that I'm a huge fan of Mr. Bungle, the Disco Volante album in particular, and these guys, they're definitely from that universe. Before we dive into the conversation, it's time for a tune I have selected, Ich Bin. Once it's done, you'll hear from the lads. Let's go.
Well, thanks for doing this for a start. I was uh, compelled to reach out on the basis that um, I'm a huge fan of Disco Galante from Mr. Buggle. Mm. And nice. When I, and when I heard the album, The Egg That Never Opened, I've got to say, part of me felt this is its sequel. Does that resonate? Yeah, it does. We're both really big fans. Yeah, sorry. We we don't we don't hide that it's a huge influence on us. So um, it's not that we're trying to make a sequel. It's 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 like we're trying to make something that's like in that world or in, in that even just in that universe because it's pretty different in a lot of ways. But I mean, all the sort of sci-fi and the you know the broad arrangements and stuff. Um, yeah, there, it's definitely in the top three for me of just sort of album experiences. Um, but yeah, man. Mm. Yeah, look, it's it's more than that, of course, okay? That was just the first reference point for people listening that I wanted to bring up because right. to set the scene for the to the listener, uh, there's such a rich tapestry of styles and techniques that you've woven, woven together. So is the album, is it a collaborative effort insofar as did all of the credited musicians, did they contribute or is it really that you're both of your babies, so to speak? Um. Well, let's see. I don't know, Tim. Why don't, why don't you take that one? All right, I'll take it there. I, I answered a similar question recently. Chris and I are the sort of the day-to-day people. We have a, a nonstop chat going, and we're always talking about what we're going to do. The other guys are not as hands-on. I know they're all pretty busy with, uh, you know, just roping them into this thing in the first place was kind of a feat, you know, in some of the cases. Mm-hmm. So just sort of getting them involved, you know, and they're, we're, we're down for as much input as they want to do, but they may have more or less time depending on the person. So um, Chris and I do most of the day-to-day lifting. And then, of course, you know, once we send it off to them and they come back with their amazing contributions, you know, it's it's worth um, as many hours of him as him and I have been putting in in the meantime. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's him and I doing sort of most of it. And then whatever, you know, sometimes people surprise us. Timbo will write a crazy string section that we didn't ask for. And it's mm-hmm. like the coolest thing ever. Or uh Steon sends us, you know, some solos or some lap steel over some, he was, he's always giving us a lap steel tracks, whether we ask for them or not. Um, and sometimes we find some surprising uses for them. Nice, yeah, yeah. And then, um, uh, of course, Bear McKinnon wrote a couple of the songs on, on the album. So, um, those it's kind of different workflows per per some of the songs depending on like where they come from um with with his songs they kind of had a really good form to begin with and a good vision Mm. behind them so and in some ways tim and i were were taking a different tact for those and we were trying to take what's already there and you know make it go get from a demo to to something uh, bigger than the demo. I mean, with still a lot of creativity, but uh, yeah, for the most part, many of the other tracks um, is a lot of Tim and I doing stuff all the time. And um, Dave Murray also had a big role in like imagining heavy metal parts. Um, I think at least a couple of songs, Tim, you, you uh-huh. threw it to Dave and said, look, Dave, like, make some crazy polyrhythmic stuff happen. And even on Mutual Hazard, Dave even wrote the guitar parts in MIDI and arranged those with (laughs) with his drum parts. So I took the MIDI part and sort of translated it to 
to the real world is, you know, the cords he didn't know. <laughs> like every now and then the chords wouldn't be quite right, but uh yeah, so I think I think there's little pockets of collaboration, but it's all really well structured. And so that's what Tim was saying. So much of the day to day is me and him, because since it is remote and asynchronous, there's a hell of a lot of coordination that has to happen to get usable audio and organize the project files and hmm. arrange the songs and the charts and mixing. And so, you know, a lot of those kind of things are Tim and I back and forth all the time. And of course we play our instruments and have our own songs that, that we want to do. Right. Like just to sort of put a bow on that idea, like because we're not able to be in the same room and sort of jam stuff out, it's like the equivalent of that for us is like preparing something really well so that when we hand it to them, it's very clear and they can do their own thing with it. But the the better we prepare, the easier it's going to be for them to just nail it and send it back because we're not able to sit there and jam on it, you know. You may have answered this question, but I'll make the point anyway. So I'll make a point and then answer, ask the question, which is that I feel like the, the album has a, a vast and cinematic quality, okay? It's dense, it's richly layered. So, But did you find yourselves, after all of the contributions came back in and you lived with it, maybe even got up to the point where you're about to master it, did you find that you had to strip any layers away so there wasn't as much instrumentation competing for the listener's attention? Yeah, it's a good question because uh, yeah, there are a lot of the layers. We get asked about the layers in one form or another, and it's a completely valid like. Um, so, for the most part, no, except for something Chris was alluding to earlier on Bear's songs. Um, you know, even though he's from Bungle, and you might think he wants it like he kind of likes things to be pretty minimalist sometimes. And for Chris and I, we kind of like to throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. And sometimes it's hard to you know take something out that you, you know, spend time on or whatever. But um, I think it was a really good exercise for us during Bears songs that he was always asking us like, oh, that's really cool. But like, let's take that out and that out. And then, you know, Chris and I would be maybe stunned for a second. Then we'd listen and be like, oh, this is actually really cool. So there's uh, this, min it's not really, it didn't end up minimalist. There's still a million tracks on his songs, but <laughs> but his approach to it um, really gave us a different production vibe for, you know, two out of the 10 songs, which is a fifth of the album. It added a really nice level of diversity and i think most of the other song there's just kind of a hell of a lot of layers <laughs> yeah i think um i mean I, if i take your question and sort of mutate it a little bit i think in, in at least one case like on diagnosing johnny in the mixing stage there was probably a, that one to me is just so dense and so many layers like there was a lot of struggle back and forth you know, in pretty late stages, but I think for the most part, pretty early on, a lot of the layering and, and ideas are are well-established. Mm. Um, I think in only a couple of cases do we get to the mixing stage and it's just like, oh, how are we going to make this work? You know, like, <laughs> should we really have this in here? And, you know, some, I think, you know, there's just a couple of instances of that, like mutual hazard and, diagnosing Johnny would be too that I think in the mixing stage we might have considered yeah. like oh you know are we going to be able to make this work or or not but uh you know of course we ended up with what with it and we made it work <laughs> did, did you have any nervous breakdown moments nervous breakdown you said 
Yeah, do you have any of those moments where you were just, it was so full, so rich, and you thought, how on earth are we going to make this thing stick? Um, you know, we've said this in some other interviews, but it's worth repeating. Like, um, you've probably heard how there's like um, a deluxe version with 53 tracks. So there's 10 songs on the album, but we have 43 bonus tracks, some of which are like totally valid remixes yeah. that some people might actually like better than the tunes on the album on a case by case basis. So we barely, and, and part of this is hard because Chris and I have full time jobs and kids and families like we were talking about earlier. Yeah. So we're kind of fitting this in there and trying not to, you know, annoy our wives too badly with various levels of success um, <laughs> so so we you know finished the record and and of course it was months behind where we thought we thought it was going to be done in november or it was october and finally it's like we finally barely finished and, and crawled to the finish line and stuck our arm across it and, and our fingertip was there and then we realized that like we had committed to making 40 you know 40 plus bonus tracks as sort of our kickstarter pledge um, our way to make a boutique item because people don't mm. give a crap about music anymore we're trying to make a special product that's mm. like hey let's have this all these mixes that show these sort of aspects of the tunes you might be completely they might totally turn it on its head for you was really our goal so anyway we finished you know we, we're not too prone to anxiety as a collective but um we finished the entire record and then we realized we've got like a month or a month and a half to squeeze out these uh bonus mixes which we hadn't even started on um mm -hmm. and, and we had a this massive for at least by our uh, standards promo campaign going on with just all of this um stuff that we've never really i've never really dealt with that in my former bands where we were uh you know really on this meticulous promo schedule which was cool but it just added this level of like how are we going to get all this done and uh funny story is we were i was still working on the bonus mixes like i think within 30 minutes of when i was supposed to be delivering oh, wow. it i was still tweaking some stuff so that was really the only thing was having bitten off more than we can chew but we're glad that we got it done and it was worth it we may just do it differently next time or maybe it'll be six months later or a year later or something to that effect Hmm. Yeah, and I think I think our our way of dealing with anxiety is different. Like Tim's, Tim's like that dog in the the meme <laughs> where the the house is on fire and he's able to drink the <laughs> coffee. I mean, Tim Tim's an ER nurse, you know. Like he he deals with some heavy stuff and it doesn't, you know, it just goes by. Uh, I'm a little more, uh, probably a a little more on the anxious scale and. I overcommit myself, you know, even outside of this, this crazy project, you know, I've got a part-time, a full-time job, I've got the family oh, well, yeah. and uh, there's times, certainly like when the COVID thing started and everybody was in my house all the time <laughs> and I'm having like, it, we're all on top of each other all the time. And like, that was probably the closest I came in my life to a ner nervous breakdown. I couldn't say it was this project because it's just like the stack of things, right? You're trying to deal with all of them. And some, for some reason, even though everybody's in the house all the time, they need us more because there's nothing else. There's no other kids to play with. Like we're all mm -hmm. stuck in the house. So the, yeah, that that's probably the closest for me. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, we just took this as it come comes along, just take it bit by bit, little piece by little piece to get it done. Once we started committing to dates and things like Tim said, then yeah, that's a little more stress. Yeah, I can imagine you guys are in California, I take it then, if you're talking about extended lockdowns? No, I'm in New Orleans. Uh, oh, wow. Tim's okay. Tim's in Colorado. Um, we weren't super locked down here and definitely nothing like uh, when, when you guys were in Australia. So, I mean, it was um, probably slightly different between our states, but um, in general, I think we were, you know, 
depending on state by state. Yeah. California, I think was a little more, yeah, it's kind of different state by state. So who knows? We were relatively out and about though, through the whole thing. So mm-hmm. I would be, I always make a joke. People say, Oh, is, is this because of COVID that you guys got together? I say, I would probably be sitting in this basement. Like even if there's a nuclear war going, no matter anyway. what was going on, I'd be down here doing music. So <laughs> yeah, you're doing this in spite of COVID and everything else going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of a non-factor other than sort of a good story. And it, it did give the idea actually, I will credit it with that just to like oh everyone's on lockdown why not form a band i mean that's um mm. and and we wouldn't be doing it any differently whether there was or wasn't a pandemic i mean there's not going to be very it's not gonna be very likely we tour or anything like that it could happen if we achieve a lot of success but we're much more focused on the recordings at this point yeah cool yeah Look, you've mentioned Bear McKinnon a couple of times and uh, Mr. Bungle, of course, I introduced the topic of Mr. Bungle and Disco Volante. Bear actually, incidentally, lives down the road these days. He's in Melbourne. Um, right. But you guys, you're all part of that broader Zorn, Patton, Spruance universe. And you know, there's been the collaborations uh, with, with everybody I've just mentioned there. And, uh, yeah, very much people like us who get into that sort of music, we rarely get into it, okay? It seems to occupy a lot of our mental headspace insofar as our enjoyment of music. So how, how did you guys all connect? Well, I mean, as far as that group, um, you know, my former band, Astratosphere, caught the attention of Trey. We were sort of, I would almost say, stalking him at one point. We'd go to every Bungle show. I'd give him tapes of my bands. Eventually, he liked it, which he had told me at one point, like, gosh, you you should hear how many awful tapes we get because they would get all this stuff where it was like someone trying to sound like Patton and do like yeah. metal funk. And like, it's Ugh. like, that is not the point of what we're doing. So he was like, oh, you guys were one of the few that like it was it was really good. But um, eventually I said, hey, I got this great keyboard. It's actually still right here this keyboard this Kurzweil K2500 um I said you should borrow it and I I drove up from Santa Cruz to San Francisco he 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 had called me or I called him I said hey want to borrow it and he happened to be writing the music for California in his big messy room uh, in San Francisco at the time so I just dropped it off we hung out maybe went out for some food and I left it for a couple weeks and I came to pick it up and he had sequenced uh none of them knew they were robots Gollum uh there might have been one or two other ones on there um but he actually used that and he didn't have a a DA W to, to sequence in the computer in those days was just before all that was really yeah. getting going. So uh, anyway, he signed our band Astratosphere to his small little label Mimicry Records. We toured with uh, Secret Chiefs. I've played some bass with Secret Chiefs before um, and recorded on a number of their records. So we were kind of in that scene already just from that. Um, I got to know Bear when I toured with Secret Chiefs and Bear was a keyboard player. And that was a long time ago because Bear had moved to Australia and didn't play with them uh, since then. So mm. we are in that larger scene scene and we're also kind of like a little bit of oddballs even within that scene it was kind of like you mentioned disco volante right like Mm. there's something special about i love zorn and all the stuff you mentioned but to me there's something different and special about that album than like all of the rest of it Um, so if you were to separate that record even from that sort of progressive or avant-garde universe whatever to me there's this weird different level which is kind of where my head's spaces and it's like not a carbon copy or anything but it's definitely super uh, referring to that world Hmm. Definitely. Chris, go for it. You're... Oh, yeah. I think for me, like I, I was sort of a fan looking for on the outside. Like I, my, my association with any of this for many years was just as a fan, just, you know, like Tim, when Disco Volante came out, like that, I had heard Mr. Bungle's first album, but I wasn't really into it. But when I heard that, it just like, it was like a lightning bolt, you know? So, uh, 
like I'd been a big fan ever since then. And I don't know, sometime around 2012-ish, I got really got into the Secret Chiefs 3 stuff. Mm. Like for somehow I had overlooked, uh, like I listened to their first album when it first came out. And I was like, ah, you know, this is pretty cool, but I didn't really follow up. So I, I became a huge fan and, you know, started listening to other things on that label, like Astratosphere, um, mm. you know, tons of other crazy stuff that they have. And uh, I had ended up writing Tim after he released his last ISS album. You know, I had bought it from him and enjoyed it. And we just sort of connected and, you know, I, I'd sent him a video of me playing guitar and we, we, he was like, Hey, let's do something sometime. So, you know, so yeah. for me, it was like more, more like being a fan, almost like the, the walk on, you know, fanboy thing but i mean cool they really don't really i don't really fanboy out too much i just kind of do the work but yeah it's pretty weird isn't it i mean you sorry you go to go for it oh, i was just gonna say one thing we call everyone's like oh steon from farmer's market bear from bungle tim for stress room we would sort of almost hazing him toward the beginning we'd say you know call him the undistinguished or whatever so it was just just kind of <laughs> something we've sort of ribbed at him a little bit on yeah, I love I love it. <laughs> I want to have a T-shirt that says "And Chris Bogan." You know? <laughs> that was always yeah, was. in the the lines. It was like Tim from Astratosphere, you know, Timbo from Astratosphere, blah blah. blah. Uh, you know, Bear from Mister Bungle, and Chris Bogan, or yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who's this guy? Yeah. Well, look, the proof's in the pudding. The, I mean, it's a magnificent album that you guys have crafted here. And uh, I, I'm, I meant to insert this question a bit earlier, but I'll ask it now because the, the first few songs on the album, look, they do have this gnarly death metal groove underneath. I feel like as though you can almost isolate the death metal side of things, the music that is, and it'd be a song unto itself. So in, in terms of the, the more metallic side of things, um, I can't remember. Was it Dave? You said was more or less in charge of some of the metal side of things. Did he write some of that and then send it to you, and then you lay the orchestration over, or was it? Or can you, in other words, can you tell me how the metal songs came together? No, not quite. So what, it would be more like we, you know, like for us, metal is kind of just something you can add to a part or not. Like the part is actually still the same underneath of it, right? It's still the chords. It's still, it's just a question of how you're going to express the rhythm. So in this case, is, um, you know, Chris and I were taking such charge of mapping out that it would be more like we would give Dave the song and say, and I would just not waste a bunch of time mapping out my own polyrhythms because he's so much better at it so i'm just like here you put something cool here and 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 the notes are still there and the the melodies are still there and he's just going to kind of add something instinctually that he kind of you know sees so it's not that he couldn't do what you're saying it's just in this case we had the song ideas were already pretty far along so it's more like hey dave um you know this whole song like the uh, mutual hazard the Romanian folk tune with all the metal. That's probably the most metal song on the album because there's metal pretty mm. much throughout the song. Where in the other songs, it's really pretty sparse. Like it's, it's, a, I'd say it's less than 15% of the time there's metal going on. It's really not that much. Um, so we're not, we're definitely not a metal band, but we're a band that can do metal at parts as a dynamic if we want to. So it's really always just about it. And Dave used to call it like, I take this and I just add metal. That's like what he used to say back <laughs> in a stratosphere. Like I just add metal to it. And then, and that's how we consider it. It doesn't change anything about the notes or the, the arrangement. It's just adding rhythms and then the riffs to it basically. 
Yeah, and to that point there where, you know, less than 15% or thereabouts of the album is about metal, I feel like, I know I've had it for about a month or so and I've listened to it many times and I feel like as though the highlight on the album is Diagnosing Johnny because it's it's just straight up fucked up Brian Wilson. Awesome. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think on that one, Chris? I would, I would say paid you a great compliment. Uh, that's that that song is Tim's baby uh, of the really? album. Yeah, kill it. I think every every single note, I, Tim. I can't think I of think a so single too. note yeah. on there that no, that's I think not I did all you. The notes. You did. I even the guitar parts. Like he had played a demo guitar part, and you know, usually the way it goes, if Tim originates a song, he'll demo the a guitar part, and I kind of have. Uh, loose instructions like here's the vibe i want you know you can change mm. around or whatever sometimes i'll change it but i don't i didn't change a single note of, of that whole thing uh mm. you know what's cool about that tune is um i don't know in the past like with the stratosphere i had to separate some of my loves like we're doing all this prog music with the stratosphere but i have this big beach boys thing that everybody knows and i mm. have kept them separated like i have projects just related to the doo-wop and beach boys but um i have had a hard time sort of really integrating it i've tried a couple times with the stratosphere with uh, varying degrees of success where sometimes i look back and like eh, it didn't wasn't quite the right thing and other things are oh that's pretty cool um this was my attempt to like integrate all of it it's definitely very brian wilson forward but it's mm. progressive there's like odd time signatures in it there's a um yeah. a long form arrangement you know the beach boys didn't do seven minute songs for the most part they would do like little three minute songs or whatever so it had that psychedelic aspect of like their smile and late pet sounds era um with all this rich orchestration and the 60s vibe and there's the vocals um lots of like five part vocals but it is a weird amalgamation. It also has like a bunch of Joe Meek in there, like uh, mm. Kurt Vile type of chord changes. And then even some like Ennio Morricone parts make their way in there. Like yeah, you know, the little female da, 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 like vocals that he would do on those, uh, some of those Italian soundtracks. So it's a weird accomplishment. I, it's one of my favorites on the record and it's very different than pretty much every other song on the record. So it's a nice little sidebar. Yeah, yeah it, it is different, but for as someone I consider Pet Sounds probably the greatest album ever recorded uh, for, for a number of reasons. And and I, I actually got into Pet Sounds through Disco Volante again because it's, you know, there's so much going on in Disco Volante, as we all know. But Same here, man. Who actually was California, but uh, that got me into Pet Sounds. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's, it's that Bungle universe again. But yeah, when I heard that, I thought, man, you guys, I mean, I, here's the question then. This, this album really is, for, for both of you, it's such a huge accomplishment sonically. How do you follow something like this up? <laughs> yeah, you know, I had that same, I think I was texting with you last week, Tim, about like, I was like, man, you know, this, the, we, we did good with this album, I'm, you know. But for some reason, like that's that's starting to make me feel depressed <laughs> in some way because I'm like, oh shit! Like, <laughs> what are we, blues, how yeah. are we going to follow? Like, how can we follow this up? I, I mean, I think the answer is we already had thought about how we were going to follow it up and sort of planned a sequence of three albums, uh, and we're starting to see what those will sound like, you know. But uh, hmm. I don't know. Knock on wood that we can not disappoint. Uh, f folks that enjoyed this first one. Yeah, I think like we're, um, as you probably heard, we're following a book for this, for these three albums. It's a radio free yeah. album with by Philip K. Dick. So we had various levels of success of like, 
you know, actually incorporating a song to a chapter for real is a t- is kind of a tough thing. So like some of the songs we already had and then we kind of, you know, assigned a meaning to it afterwards. Like, oh, that's this chapter. But now we're really trying to build from the ground up of like, what's this chapter about? What does that mean as far as which instruments, you know, which instruments represent which characters? And then when the scene changes within the chapter, it's like we we actually have it sort of mapped out. So maybe that'll end up sounding too literal. But so far on the initial sort of demos I'm making right now, it's sounding pretty cool. Like it's actually more cinematic because you really feel it following like the author ends up, you know, I'll just give one little bit away. The author winds up in this really bad situation with this like FBI agent type of person who's investigating him and he sort of accidentally sleeps with her. But uh, anyway, we going into this like massive, like 70s sort of Ethiopian funk thing to like map out what's going on in the bedroom there. And it turns all apocalyptic because he's realizing the mistake he made and she has him in this trap now that he's never going to be able to get out of. And so it's just like apocalyptic porn music um, you know, that's going on for, for a little bit there. And so we're really just trying to follow what the book's giving us and, and not really questioning it too much. And so far, I think it's very promising to be like a perfect complement to the last record that even expands on it. I think as our process, well, you know, this isn't a process I've done before. This isn't how I've ever recorded an album. So as we refine it and get to know each other better and really how to be more efficient, because it's we have so little time, it's like, how do we get the most yeah. done in the least amount of time um i think i think it, the album is only going to get better but it is a little intimidating because the material is so good on that first album so that'll be the thing to watch out for is like we have a weird cover song versus original ratio of like 60 percent original and 40 percent some kind of obscure cover references that could be classical it could be folk music from a different country could be a film soundtrack sometimes people don't even know what the cover is and they have to sort of ask us in interviews and we're like oh actually that's this and they're like really that's that Mm. like so yeah sweet yeah what's the what's the appeal with philip k dick then because uh there's a few authors out there like him but was there something in particular that resonated i mean if you you haven't read much dick right chris is that correct just besides this book yeah before this project i think i had read uh one book or something you know not not definitely not like a huge fan before Trey Spruins had recommended initially The Man in the High Castle, which is where our name comes from. Um, mm-hmm. it's a, he writes these short books. He's kind of the Mr. Bungle of sci-fi. Like he's kind of a philosopher disguised as a sci-fi writer. He's always just describing what humans would do in these really horrendous sort of dystopian situation so it's really more about that and he's always referencing this like ancient religious stuff like he has this really weird way of making it very mr bungle-esque for lack of a better word for sci-fi so it was Mm. sort of arbitrary i'd always heard about this book and i'm like hey let's do that book and so we both ordered it and read it and there there wasn't like it even like blew us so it's not the best book he ever read it it adapts itself very well to music for some reason there's like a record company in the book like the author like joins a record company to try to subvert to like the CIA type of people and, mm-hmm. and like hide subliminal messages in the record. It just kind of makes sense that we can totally sort of riff off of all of those yeah. things happening in it. So, um, yeah, it made sense. It, it's probably makes for a better, um, uh, see a music or recording than it does for a book. Cause he discarded it and wrote his masterwork Valis from that. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. What, what about, live performances has there been an opportunity for you to do that yet um no i mean we we haven't really <laughs> focused on wanting to do that 
you know, the, the logistics, <laughs> there's like a long silence. <laughs> yeah, no, the, that's like I mean, there, no. <laughs> there's definitely been people interested and there's been people that have asked us. And I mean, there was one person, I don't know how serious they were, but they were like, look, I'll stake you like, you know, let's oh, make wow. this happen. And uh, it's just like, you know, Tim and I have our full-time jobs and our families and all these mm. commitments. And uh, I mean, even aside from that, we could still make something happen, but then you've also got band members that live in other parts of the world. And like, I've never even been in the same room with <laughs> most of the people in this band. So, I mean, I, it just, it seems it would be very expensive and, and difficult to make it happen. I'm not going to say it would never happen, but uh I think like Tim said, we're just focused on making good albums and good recordings right now. That's, or at least I can, can't speak for anybody besides myself, but. Um, hmm. It doesn't seem to be in the cards um, yet. Like I said, it would have, we're really trying to build the brand. Like we've like, like I said, we've, we have multiple publicists. We're trying to blow this thing up as much as you can, you know, having such odd music. So our, our, our stage we're in right now is like, get our you know get into people's heads make true fans out of people and then let's just see how it grows i i think it would be probably until our kids are in college before we would honestly be considering it but even in that time it has to grow so like the more fans we can get and people that'll buy our next thing right when we get it out it's going to help that cause but it's it's certainly not a priority or very convenient for anyone in the band not to mention you know it's not that we couldn't play the songs but we've never actually played these songs like i'll punch in eight bars at a time just trying to get through my baseline and you know how to have people record these days it's like i could play that whole baseline in one pass if i practice the hell out of it for them but i'm not going to do that i'm just going to sit there and be like okay there we go let's just record that so yeah well, so unfortunately the do, way i'm sorry even oh, if good. you go do that like like i'll do that like i'd like to record my stuff in big like old school takes but even then after I'm done, that's it. Like, I'm usually not going to play the again. So like now we're doing music videos and stuff or, you know, and it's like, okay, well, I need to pretend like I'm playing this. And it's like, shit, like I've got to sit down and remember like, what was I doing there? And, you know, it, it actually took, takes some time. So, I mean, that's just kind of a funny aspect of it, but yeah. One day. I, I like to say one day. I think it's possible, but certainly not the mode we're in for this era. I think your timing is great because with what Mr. Bungle is all about these days, which is playing those those thrash metal demos, there's a real hunger out there for this type of music. And I, I hope you felt that through the demand for physical copy and also the amount of interviews you've been doing. Yeah, we have had a lot of love for this record, more than I've ever had for an Astratosphere record. Um, more press, more interviews, um, more sales, I think. I, I don't know. We were never that involved in the business stuff, so I just didn't ask a lot of questions. I have no idea, but I'm pretty sure we've sold here. And it still translates. You know how music is. It translates to almost nothing by the time you buy all the merch, <laughs> but but we're really in the business right now oh, of making fans. Because people are like, yeah. oh, you guys made 30 grand on Kickstarter. And if we could show you our spreadsheet right now of what, of, <laughs> of making those 750 vinyl oh, records and the, yeah. the digi books and the shirts and then publicists and stuff, we're like, we still haven't paid out a single dollar yet to band out of all of that that we no. will and and a lot of it we're sitting on some of the inventory which is pure you know you know how it goes but like it's not a great business all that to say it's, it's not a, not a great selling music is not a great business well i'm an author it's an, invest, it, 
It's an investment. Yeah, it is. Like it's right. an investment in the future, you know, like you're building a catalog and who knows, maybe somebody uses it in a film or people keep buying it a little bit at a time. But anyway, you say you're an author? Yeah, I'm an author and I found the same thing. I've just paid for everything myself and I've sold more physical copy of the books than I have of digital copy, which is unbelievable, really. But people want the book. They want the signature, not even just the message in it and that stuff. But I reckon I'm down about 1500 bucks, almost two grand. But because people want it, I've, I've sent it to all these great, you know, overseas, United States, Canada, uh, Netherlands, parts of other parts of Europe and the like. To give you an idea, to send a book to from Australia to the Netherlands costs 70 bucks, just a postage alone. Holy cow. But, wow. people, but you communicate, you know how it is, you communicate with people and you develop, develop a bond, you develop a friendship, dare I say, and it's not that you feel obligated, you want to share your craft with them, don't you? So you do, you just, yeah. And because we've all got jobs right, this is the trade-off. It's just, well, it, one pays the other and it's enormously spiritually fulfilling. I mean, luckily for us, like a digital download, like I do not like digital books. Like I will not read a book online. I have to have the actual book and I don't even have that as much time to read as I would want. But like music, I think fares a little bit better. Like a download, I mean, it's preferable to have a CD or record, but a download's still pretty cool and you can load it mm -hmm. into your phone, listen to it in the car. A book's like you have to stare at some screen, which I already do enough of. So I don't want to stare at any more screens. Like, so yeah. it's probably takes, takes a little bit of a beating just because of the medium you're in there too. Yeah, yeah, I've long resolved it, and so so far as I think, uh, you know, we've all got to have uh, we're pretty similar. I think the three of us, and so far as you got your job, that's the thing, you know, that's the breadwinner. You got your family. We're all family oriented, but we've still got this deep love and appreciation of the arts and music and and reading and writing and literature. But it's never going to go away. You've just got to find a way to sort of make everything fit in, and the costs go wherever the costs go. Right. And it's figuring out what is the best business, like the Kickstarter thing, as much as I'm, you know, griping that we haven't seen a dollar from it yet. Like we're also not in debt. Like it, it paid for everything we wanted to do, mm. including the future merch. So, you know, as long as we don't order too much, but, but being in that sort of inventory cycle in any business is just brutal. And until you hit some mm. sort of scale, it, it, you make almost nothing, but we're not in it for that. We, like I said, we're growing our brand. If one day it turns that direction, I mean, I have a vague hope of like trying to do more music for my living so I can actually devote more time to it, but it's a, it'll be a gradual transition at best. So we got, we got our eye on some things like that for the future, but uh, it's not there yet. <laughs> well, it's like with uh, Nuno Betancourt from Extreme. Okay, so he plays guitar in Rihanna's band, I think, still to this day. That's right. It's crazy. I mean, wow. you just kind of, yeah, you just, yeah, it's so weird. You, I remember watching this somehow. I, was, I think I was in an airport or something like that. I saw Oprah, that, man. I saw that. Yeah, the Oprah video, Oprah show was on and then Rihanna's playing and then, is that Nuno? What's he doing up there? You know, playing his power chords. Man, it was funny because extreme. It was never really cool, like back in the Guns N' Roses day. But I remember I bought one of their like. I don't really like shredder guitar players. I really don't like like the sweep guys. But there was something different about him. He has this way of making it kind of more tasteful. I think than some of the sweeping yeah. shredders. Um, I actually kind of like that guy. So man, if you play with Rihanna, more power to you. It's a good gig. It pays for the bills, and he can probably do whatever he wants in the the off time. Yeah, it's really talented guy. Yeah, I mean, the, the point there is you just got to do what you got to do, right, to pay the bills. And if that means playing power chords in Rihanna's band or just a few jazz chords every once in a while alongside. Like a solo here or there, I think, was what it is, really. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's just it was so yeah, weird man. to sort of see it. It was like it was like we'd entered into a parallel dimension. The guitarist in Extremes in Rihanna's band. Okay, fair enough. But <laughs> I don't <laughs> think I had heard a peep out of that guy for fifteen. Like whatever oh, was the the last thing I knew about them was that album, um, the Green album. Three sides, um, three, three sides, story. Yeah, yeah, which I had yeah. and I actually liked at the time, um, but I never heard a word from him past that record. I mean, there was the whole like singer joining Van Halen thing, which is like the worst thing that's ever happened. Um, oh, but geez. <laughs> bad, bad for Gary Cherone, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, it was not a good time nice guy. It wasn't Halen. a good fit for. Uh... <laughs> no, indeed, yeah. Lads, I'll, I'll wrap things up. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Before before I let you go, just in terms of where you can direct people listening, and I'll put it up on YouTube too, so watching, where you can direct them to uh, purchase merch and just get behind you guys and support you guys. Where can they do that? Yeah, I mean, we're really driving people to our band camp. So High Castle Tele Orchestra, that's orchestra with a K. We also, um, if you're not a band camper, we have pretty much all the same stuff at our website, um, highcastleteleorchestra.com. You can get um, download, you can get uh, vinyl, CDs, shirts, um, mailing list there. We have a YouTube channel. It's just Tim Spolins. I think that one is um, Facebook page. Follow us all those play anywhere you follow something. We're probably on it. Instagram or even on TikTok. Oh. embarrassingly enough, because it's where <laughs> people, I guess, 13 year old girl who, you know, it might, might be interested in Omaha, Nebraska. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> well, anything you're on, find yeah. us on there and follow us. We actually release some pretty cool content pretty regularly. So it keeps our fan base engaged. Um, but yeah, just more than anything, pick up the record and check it out and show show some friends indeed well congratulations guys on on what you're doing here i love it uh long may you continue to write killer music like this i look forward to the follow-up i'm going to keep on enjoying this one here don't worry about that but i do look forward to what you guys do in the future and i really appreciate your time thank you thanks a lot for having us this was a blast thanks so much guys all right all the best with everything all righty what a great chat that one there was with Tim Smolens and Chris Bogan from High Castle Tele Orchestra. Thanks very much again, gentlemen. You can get a bunch of their stuff over at Bandcamp. Do that, actually. Do support bands like this because without unique and original music, we don't move forward. Anybody can listen to the cookie-cutter bullshit that's out there, but dive into some of this stuff that's on the High Castle Tele Orchestra album and other groups that are adjacent. Magnificent. Before I let you go, I've got something to say. I've got a book. It's out right now. Go across to scarsandguitars.com, click on the link and the banner, and you'll be taken to a marketplace. Select one of your choice. Select a marketplace of your choice from the link, and away you go. Download a sample, and if you do complete the purchase, if you do want to read the entire thing, hit me up, because I want to thank you personally. On that note, I've got something more to say about the book, but before I let you go, my name's Andrew Mackay-Smith and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series. Until next time, it is a very goodbye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew Mackay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal and beyond. It just got to a point 
where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Ever. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying power of the... I, of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that, yes, playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, I, I just I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was, he was very, you know, very open-minded and and he was into having his, his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for, for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five and Manson gave me that name and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book.